you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious. Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining me. On today's show, I am thrilled to be joined by Lori Mihalik-Levin. Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kathy. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Of course, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And before we dig in, let me first introduce you to Lori. So Lori Mihalik-Levin believes in inspiring and empowering working parents. She is the founder and CEO of Mindful Return, author of Back to Work After Baby, How to Plan and Navigate a Mindful Return from Maternity Leave, and co-host of the Parents at Work podcast. She is mama to two wonderful redheaded boys, ages eight and 10, and is a healthcare lawyer in private practice. Her thought leadership has been featured in publications including Forbes, Fortune, The Washington Post, New York Times Parenting, and Thrive Global and The Huffington Post. So we are thrilled to talk to you today, Lori, about this topic of parenthood and work and how they intersect. And before we dig into that a little bit more, I'd love to start by having you share an overview of your own journey that brought you to your current work. And, you know, you've had a successful career as a lawyer. You continue to do that work and you find a mindful return. And I believe you did that while you were working full time within a law firm. So tell us a little bit more about your career path. What brought you to this work that's focused on inspiring and empowering working parents? Thank you for the kind intro, Kathy. And I would say just in very short sheer desperation brought me to this work and helping working parents. Um, In fact, yes, I am a lawyer and I practiced at a big law firm for my first couple of years out of law school, as many people do. And then I had shifted um, to do a bit more policy-based work and went to work in-house at a trade association. And that's where I was working full-time when I had both of my boys. And, you know, I'm a risk averse lawyer by nature. So the idea that I would start a company and, you know, create this new program was not really anywhere on my radar. My husband is an MBA and a career coach and does all sorts of cool entrepreneurial things. And he says things like, you know, I, I, on the day we married, we got married, I never anticipated that you were going to also, you know, fall into the entrepreneur camp, but here I am. Um, So I had baby number one. And I went back to work after parental leave and found it incredibly challenging, though I muddled through. Um, And then I had baby number two, two years later. And for me and my husband, we love to say one plus one equaled 85. Things were not pretty. Um, Mom after mom was coming into my office at work, shutting the door, 
bursting into tears saying, this is really hard and no one's talking about it. And so at that point, I was motivated to create a working parent group at my office. Um, We called it the returning to work community. And it was really an opportunity for working parents to all sort of come together and share experiences. Um, And at that point, I also realized that I was facing a problem that was a lot bigger than just my office. Um, I also simultaneously in being in a very dark place myself with both sleepless nights for months on end and feeling the pressures of keeping a household running and being a full-time mom, um, I took an online course called the Abundant Mama Project. And that allowed me to be in a community with a a hundred other moms from all over the world, not all of whom were working moms and some of whom, although all moms are working moms, but working outside the home. Um, And some of them had 18 year olds, some of them had 12 year olds, some of them had babies. But what we all had in common was a desire to find the abundance in life instead of the overwhelm. And I thought, gosh, new parents who are coming back to work after leave, we need this type of support. We need a community of people who could all say, oh my gosh, me too, I get it. And I wanted to create resources that were thoughtful and helpful rather than flippant and snarky, which is what I was finding when I was looking for advice when I was going back to work after leave. There's so much out there to help with baby and that's wonderful. But when I was returning, there was so little to help with the personal and professional identity transition that the parent goes through upon the return. So basically I set out Kathy to create what I wished had existed for myself. Mm. I often find that those are the best entrepreneurial ventures <laughs> is when you find that you have your own need because it's not uncommon for people to then, find, you know, t- that it's not uncommon that other people have that same need, which is exactly what you were finding is people clamoring for support and for help and knowing how to do it. And I want to come back to this professional, what you were just ending with too, in terms of this professional and um, personal identity and the blending of that. But before we go there, I kind of wanted to start also with this foundation of like, what is work in this world of parenthood? And Bear with me because I want to give it just a little bit of context here for folks, too, because like one of the things I talk about with sustainable ambition is thinking about managing one's career from decade to decade. And that includes thinking about life stage and when one might have children or have caretaking responsibilities. And I also think that what can make one's ambition sustainable is also thinking more holistically. Like ambition isn't just about work and career. It can be about what is your ambition for your life and what do you want your life to kind of look like and how do you find harmony between the two? And so um, in that, I I also just want to emphasize my own belief too, which is also supported by research that work and career can fuel us and can contribute to our happiness. And so, um, but you, you know, you, there's happiness in both. So with that kind of, it's just backdrop or background, Lori, I wanted to have here just your own perspective and view on the role of work and career in one's life. Mm, that is such a big and beautiful question, Kathy. Um, I have a couple of initial thoughts. One is I'm a huge believer in the exact concept that you named um, that Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn at Brown does a lot of research on, and it's called work-life enrichment. And the idea is not that there's this 
solely a tension between work and quote unquote life, but rather work and life enrich one another. And for me, I can absolutely say that I am a better parent because I have work ambitions and goals and, you know, things that I want to accomplish in the world outside of my wonderful children. And I am a better professional because I am a parent and because I take the time every day to not be working for a couple of hours and to be focused on hum the human parts of life. Um, not that work isn't human, but I think you know what I mean. Um, I also truly believe that for myself, and this is something that totally surprised me, um, and there's research on this, that having a passion project and a side gig and that other, that other thing that gives you so much joy can actually make you better and more engaged and more involved in your quote unquote work work uh, during the day. So you would think that perhaps if you had a side project or a side gig, that it would detract from your working hours. And in fact, um, for me, being a creative entrepreneur who builds communities and blogs makes me a better lawyer. And being a lawyer makes me a better entrepreneur and creative person. And so I really see all of these things sort of interacting with one another. Um, I mean, work for me, I hate the term work-life balance because it implies that work is this one thing and life is everything else. And in fact, I sort of like work-life integration better, but what I really love is just life <laughs> and the fact that, you know, work is just one piece of, of all of that. Um, and it really resonated for me um, when you were saying, you know, you can have ambition about all of these things, really for me, it's about what are you motivated about and what are you enthusiastic about? And the priority of each of those might change over time, but you can still continue to remain enthusiastic and motivated about your family, your children, your career throughout the decades. Yeah, I love all of that and, and wholeheartedly agree. And one of the things I really appreciate about what you're saying too is that you can be multifaceted in who yes. you are and have these different aspects of yourself. And what I find so interesting is that so often when you talk with people, they, they want you to pick a lane. Yes. They don't want you to be more than one thing. And I just find it fascinating. You know, you have books. I recently read Range, which talks about, you know, being multifaceted or making sure that you have um, that there is benefit to not being just a specialist. Right. That there's benefit to being a generalist and bringing in different points of view. And so I think what you're talking about in terms of having this these different aspects of your life actually make you um they enrich each other. They enrich all of it and that it's really about life. You know, when I was growing up, people talked about being well-rounded and <laughs> I feel like I, maybe it's because of where I'm at in my stage of life where the communities I'm in, I'm not, I don't hear that as much. Um, and so that's what comes to mind as I hear you talking about this as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is an excellent observation. That was one of the key themes of our childhood. We had to appear well-rounded on the college application, right? Um, no, I appreciate your reference to that book too and wholeheartedly believe in the portfolio approach to career as they call it um, and, and the fact that one does enrich the other for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, in building on this a little bit more in terms of really working and managing a career as a parent, like how do you think about this stage in one's career and managing work and being a parent? And so in other words, like, how should one think about work and career as they enter parenthood? Do they have to, 
is is there a way in thinking that needs to shift as they step oh, into that yes. role? <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, 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 yes. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll back up and just say that I left the partnership of a global law firm over the summer after six years of being a partner there. And so I had sort of this in-house legal experience and then firm experience. And, um, you know, there are certain law firms that, for example, take um, an approach of all in. If you're not all in at the law firm all the time, then you can't possibly be a committed lawyer. And for me, and fortunately, the firm I worked for was not in that camp or I wouldn't have worked for them. Um, but, you know, it really was a matter of believing that I was 100% a lawyer and 100% a mom. And those two things, you know, just because I wasn't billing 2,500 hours a year didn't mean that I was was any less of a lawyer, for example. So one of the key uh, soapboxes that I get in about get on about narratives that need to change is that parenthood somehow makes us less of an employee and you know, there are well-documented motherhood biases. Um, there are, there's this thing called the fatherhood bonus, which you might've heard of, um, where people are more inclined to um, promote fathers because they know they need to be the breadwinner, for example. And I think there's some truth in that. There's also stigma around fathers taking parental leave, but let's go with the assumption that when you announce that you're going to have a baby, people are going to potentially think negative things about you and your career. And what I like to flip on its head is that narrative that says parenthood is a career detractor and instead say that parenthood is an amazing leadership asset. And, you know, there's actually neuroscience that says that the most neuroplastic that the adult human brain can be is in the one year following the birth of a child. And, you know, our brains are doing all sorts of wacky, amazing, you know, making new neural connections and whatnot. And what I try to encourage the new parents who go through the mindful return program to think about is all of the amazing skills that they are gaining through parenthood that are going to be useful in their careers and in their jobs. And not only to think about them, but to write them down, to celebrate them, to put them on their wall, to put them in the review every year, whenever they're, you know, up for promotion and whatnot, and to make sure that it becomes part of the discourse and the dialogue that we now have these skills around prioritization and empathy and the ability to deal with clients who can't express their needs very well and all this sort of stuff that we gain through parenthood. So that's one of the big narratives that I'd like to change. Yeah, I think that's so important in that, you know, that you're taking on a new skill set, essentially, yes. and really like <laughs> honing new skill sets is what I hear you saying. And that um, that becomes an asset. And I do think it's um, such an interesting thing that you saw, talked about like the brain plastic or neuroplasticity. Am I mm -hmm. getting that right? And yeah. what an interesting thing, because most people, especially, well, the women going through this, most people, men don't experience this because they're not the one having the child, but not to say they're not growing. I'm just saying what's interesting is what I took away was like, there was almost neurochemistry happening in terms of your brain changing and being able to, to um, grow in certain ways. And during this time, of course, you're going through a lot of changes, but I, I, that's a new idea or thought for me that people, because oftentimes people say it's such a challenging time, but yet what I'm hearing you say is not only are you learning new skills, but it's actually an interesting time from a growth perspective for you to kind of reframe what this time is for you yes. as a new parent. Yes. And to clarify, this is research from um, Dr. Ruth 
Feldblum of Yale. And she found that any caretaker can experience this in the first year after a child, not just the birth mother, but also the father or a very involved auntie, for example. Um, if they are properly supported and really engaged in the child's um, development. And so, you know, another soapbox I often get on is for degendered parental leave. And um, there are studies that show that women's careers actually do better when their partners take the offered parental leave. And so, you know, there's an opportunity both for the father to bond with baby, but also for the father's leadership skills and brain to to explode and expand you know we talk a lot about baby brain that fog that we feel in the first year after having a baby and the the lack of sleep and all that and that's real but this other type of baby brain is real too um and i i just have to credit my friend amy henderson who wrote a wonderful book called tending parenthood and the future of work which is really where i dug into some of these concepts Mm. Thank you for clarifying that mm-hmm. too, Lori. I really appreciate it. Um, so I just think that's a really fascinating learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to come back to you because you said as well, like when you were starting to dig into this and trying to find resources for yourself, you said, I was finding a lot of things that were kind of flippant and snarky, but you also said like nothing was really addressing this um, change in personal and professional kind of identity. And I find that when I talk with people about transitions that are like, for example, stepping out of a corporate environment. So even you like leaving a law firm, like there is a transition there and there's a way that we get shifted, you know, it kind of throws us off around this sense of identity. So can you go back to that and say a little bit more, what are parents experiencing around this and what are they needing to navigate? Yeah. Oh, um, you've also brought me right back to my shift from partner to, you know, CEO of Mindful Return and I've started my own firm, but I'm not a partner at Big Law anymore. And if I'm being fully honest, Kathy, it took me much longer to leave the firm because of that identity fear, right? The who am I if I'm not a partner in Big Law anymore, right? Um, So the new parents who are facing this transition are going from a world often in many cases, because on the whole, we're having children later in life. They're going from a world where they have established themselves likely in some way, even if they're sort of in, you know early mid career, um, where they they know who they are at work. They've probably picked a lane, so to speak. Although we try you know, not to talk about putting people in lanes, but they become good often at what they are doing in their career and their role, and they've made a name for themselves. And now suddenly they are doing something where they have absolutely no idea what's going on, and they're not good at it because we don't know anything about keeping a baby alive. And the consequences are really severe if we mess it up, right? And so um, often our confidence and ideas around our own competence get shaken. Um, Also, we live in a a society that um, gives us a hundred right answers to everything and tells us that we're doing it wrong all the time, right? You're not sleep training, you're ruining your child, you're sleep training, you're ruining your child. You sleep with your baby, you're co-sleeping, you're going to kill them. If you don't co-sleep, you're not going to be attached properly. If you're going to bottle feed, I mean, the whole, every single choice you make as a new parent is questioned by at least half the population. And so um, I think it's really hard. You lose your footing easily whenever you become a working parent. And What I'm trying to help new parents do is to realize, first of all, it's totally normal. It's not them. (laughs) It's a lot is on society and it's normal to flounder and it's good to ask 
for support and ask for help and get a village behind you. Because I know I, for one, was sort of that like go it alone, all figured out myself type. And that's not a healthy way to be in new parenthood. Um, so as you're going through this identity transition, this sense of who am I, what the heck is going on here? How do I keep this person alive? And P.S. I need to leave at the end of the day of work because guess what? My childcare ends. Um, my personal situation was my daycare charged $10 a minute if I was late. Um, and so I needed to leave at 4.30 to take the metro to get my baby by the time the, the place closed. And who was I as an employee if I wasn't the last one in the office, right? And so, you know, th there are a lot of struggles and the more we can talk about them and the more we can normalize the fact that having a baby is a normal thing in life and people do it. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with adjusting your schedule and your life for this new priority, the better off I think we'll all feel. Yeah, it's so important that it's so interesting how society seems to um, push against this thing that's a norm in yes. humanity. Yes. <laughs> um, we wouldn't be here, all of us. Exactly. Yes. exactly. So, so interesting. Well, one of the things I want to probe on a little bit more is community because yes. it comes up often actually on the podcast too, in career transition, in supporting people and their well-being during this time. And that solutions often are in a part of the solution is finding community. So you've mentioned it a couple of times and alluded to this fact that it is quite important. I think it's a, it's a part of what you offer in your programs. So you can you say a little bit more about like what is so critical about finding that community? Part of it is normalization, as you talked about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the research around resilience says that the most effective path toward being resilient faster is finding people with whom you can connect about the, the problem that you're having. And so um, I, I really think it plays a piece in the resilience through a tough life transition, um, joyous and tough at the same time. Um, I really created Mindful Return because I felt very alone because I didn't hear my own concerns echoed anywhere. And when I did, it was just one-on-one -on -one secretively in an office and that didn't seem like the right place for, for it. Um, and so the Mindful Return course that I teach is an online course and it's asynchronous. So you don't have to be anywhere at any given time of day or night, but you go through it in a cohort with other people who are all returning to work at the exact like same moment that you are. And there's so much um, relief in that sense of me too, that people hear from other people's experiences. Um, the other thing that I am really passionate about and started, um, have become a community builder around is working parent groups at people's offices. Um, I'm a serial founder of working parent groups, both at my um, the trade association where I worked and also at the firm where I worked. And when I had founded this working parent group at my firm, I realized that I was constantly recreating the wheel in terms of programming and how the group was meant to be structured. And so I created something called the Working Parent Group Network, which is a group of now over 200 leaders of working parent and working caregiver groups at organizations. And we get together every six or eight weeks on Zoom and have a listserv. And it's just a way for those of us who care deeply about making life better for caregivers in the workplace um, to connect with one another and amplify each other's efforts and not recreate the wheel every time we're going to to try to make change within our own organizations. So I feel like there's community building both when you're in that brand new parent stage, but then when you become an advocate and you start getting passionate about these issues, it's important to connect with other people to share ideas too. I think that's so great. And I, I'm curious, 
with that in terms of these working parent groups within organizations, what are you finding is really helpful for companies and organizations to do to better support working parents? Yeah, well, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the pandemic as an impetus for many organizations actually realizing that parents have a lot of struggles. And I know my own kids were home for 15 straight months while we tried to work. And that was hazardous to everyone's mental health. Um, so I think that there's more interest right now um, in getting groups like this off the ground and people are realizing that they can be, and I think all ERGs, the employee resource groups and affinity groups can really be ways of building community and building engagement within organizations among people who all have a shared uh, interest in something. Um, you know, in terms of best practices, um, you know, making sure that these groups are recognized by the organization, making sure that they have executive sponsors who are willing to um, devote time and energy to promoting and supporting the group helps. Um, there are more and more organizations that are now actually um, finally paying their ERG leaders uh, to do the work of running these groups, because often it's this volunteer task that you take on on top of all the other stuff that you're doing for work and that often goes uh, unrecognized. Um, and for working parents who are already strapped and, you know, burning the, the candle at both ends, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot to also take on the responsibility of caring for all the other working parents and caregivers in an organization. Um, so I think, you know, funding, support, and really having the leadership of an organization step up and say, this group is important. This group is helpful. We want to listen to this group and get ideas from this group and um, communicate often and collaboratively with this group, I think goes a huge way in making caregivers feel supported within an organization. Yeah, it's so great. And I, I'm curious, you know, you did mention the pandemic, of course, and what do you hear? What have you been hearing? And like, are there new practices coming out of this time of the pandemic where you're starting to see both needs shifting that parents need to have addressed and or and then like what companies are actually starting to kind of offer or starting to put in place to help support parents uh, better in terms of really finding more sustainability in balancing parenthood and work. Yeah, I mean, the obvious answer is flexibility and the fact that that is something that was so essential for working parents prior to COVID. I'm not saying life was good for parents before COVID, but um, parents who were able to make it work often made it work because they had some autonomy and flexibility over their schedule. And it was much more about getting a quality work product completed than which days and minutes and hours were spent with your butt in a chair. Um, this like FaceTime culture is really not conducive to retaining working parents. And so I feel like one of the silver linings is that we've gotten more away from the FaceTime culture. And I think employers who want to retain working parents for the long term are going to have to figure out a way to maintain some of that um, because we don't have a lot of control over beginnings and end of days and childcare and when things go awry with our children, et cetera. Um, and, and I think there are more and more organizations that are worried more holistically about burnout now and about trying to focus on that period in the evening when maybe we all shouldn't be on a conference call, which can really benefit working parents as well. So I'd say I put flexibility at the top of the list and empathy. I mean, another obvious one is that like, 
now we know people walk through Zoom screens with their children and their pets and everything, and it's all become a little bit more human. I'm hoping we can retain that. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I appreciate that part of it as well. I wanted to come back to you because one of the things you've noted in terms of your program, um, the Mindful Return program, is that it's it has had success in retaining working parents and going back. And what do you hear from those that go through that program where they say, this is why it's helped me? Or, you know, what is that benefit? Why is it helping organizations that put this in place? Why does it end up helping them really retain that talent? Yeah, thank you for raising that. So I guess, first of all, I'll just, you know, cite the numbers. Um, at the beginning of last year, we had, um, we did a study on about a thousand parents who had been through the Mindful Return program over a five-year period. And we discovered that um, in contrast to the national average return rate for new moms of 64%, we found that over this five-year period, 85% of the um, folks who had gone through mindful return were still at their same employer and 93% were still in the workforce. And I credit that to a number of things, one of which is when an employer hands over to a, a, an employee the, the keys to a course all about coming back to work after parental leave, the employer is saying, I want you to come back. I care about you. Here's something that I think might be able to help. And I think that mere fact is in itself really powerful. Um, the other, the, the second most important thing is back to that community. Um, just you know, hearing from people that they felt like they weren't alone, that they weren't the only one making tough choices and that they were able to see other examples of how people were doing it and what stories they were telling themselves and how they were, how others were reframing the narrative, I think really helped. Um, and then just, you know, some of the content um, is really structured around raising issues that people will face, but may, might not know that they are going to be facing. And I have lots of people say, um, you know, the, the course prompted me to address situations while I was on leave that otherwise would have taken me a couple of months to work out or I would have, you know, encountered them upon my return and not really gotten back into the swing of things and probably would have quit because I hadn't figured it out. But because there was a structured approach, you know, I was able to sort through these issues before coming back from parental leave. Um, people also say that in those very mushy, foggy, hazy baby days, taking this online course with short bite-sized lessons gives them something concrete to do, to check off a list, to feel like they can be effective and productive and competent at something, getting back to the earlier identity transition. So I think it also gives them a tool to feel grown up and human for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That sounds amazing. And I building on what you're kind of sharing there, because I think what you're also it's like an on ramp back going mm -hmm. back to yeah. work. And I'm wondering, as part of that program, are there elements where it's like you share this may not be the right word, but things that people have to be realistic about at this stage in their lives as they're going into being a working parent or things that you might cover, for example, where uh, you you want people to be aware of these elements of like, hey, if you're having your first child, these are things you're going to have to think about to make, really make it sustainable. So can you talk a little bit more about some of the things that you might cover where you're opening people's eyes to, hey, <laughs> let me raise the awareness for you. And then like, let me also give you some tips here in terms of what you really need to be thinking about um, in order to make this more, both help you reenter and reenter mm -hmm. comfortably and confidently, but then also start to put some structures in 
place that are going to help you um, make it sustainable for yourself, your partner, et cetera. And your, and your employer too. We need to make it sustainable for everyone. Right. Yeah. Um, I just jotted a few notes while you were talking, so I didn't lose these train of thought, the trains of thought, but one of them is I remember writing a blog post that's now, you know, I shared in the course all around, um, dream big, but be realistic, right? Like we can do all the things, but we cannot do all the things all at once. And it's more of a, a patience with staggering and recognizing that there's a time when we're just going to, this is a season of life when you're not going to be able to move as quickly with everything in your life as you used to be. Um, and that's really hard for hard driving type A perfectionists like myself that I totally understand. It's, it's hard to be patient and to put one thing in front of the other, and it can make you more empathetic and more human. Um, one of the things that I try to make sure Uh, to teach the new parents is around the need for childcare, even when you are working at home. Um, I know some people are like, ah, you know, the baby can just hang out and I'll get the work done. And that inevitably does not actually work out. And so really encouraging folks to make sure that they have um, someone else who is on point for their child. And also there's this thing called maternal gatekeeping that a lot of moms do um, unwittingly um, where because we're so, our hormones are activated and we're very focused on keeping our baby alive. We often intervene and don't let other people mm, learn for themselves how to do things, which can be a problem in relationships with partners and caregivers. And so when you've got that childcare covered, you have to trust and let go that the childcare has, has the baby covered. Right. Um, I also, teach that we need to be flexible with our flexibility, right? I mean, it may be an agreement that we have that we're just, you know, not working on Fridays or whatever that is. And if we want this to be a two-way street that works for us and our employer, and there are, there's an emergency project that's going to require us to work a couple of Fridays, we can be clear about the boundaries that we're setting and saying, okay, we'll, we will modify this for the next three Fridays because there's an emergency. And then there's an expectation that it comes back. But, you know, we do have to recognize that we can't be so rigid that it's always uh, just our way and not the way of the employer because it really is a two-way street. I'll pause there. No, I think this is so great because part of, again, you're coming back to where you started, which is dream big, but be realistic. And I often find that one of the things that gets us into trouble actually is the fact that we have unrealistic expectations. Yes. <laughs> and so being a little more realistic, but like you're saying, it's not that you still don't set some boundaries or you still don't put in place some structures that are going to support you, but um, you can really do yourself a disservice actually, if you're not a little realistic or even what I really appreciate you saying, be flexible with your flexibility. I mm-hmm. think that's a really wise counsel because again, if you have that hard line um, and you're not flexible, it can lead to just being frustrated, frankly. Yes. And and so there's, there's really a trade-off there. Um, I wanted to ask too, in terms of this patience, going back to your point of patience with staggering, because I think, yes, that is part of a challenge. And I think I'm curious if you have any thoughts of like, because where I get a little frustrated is thinking about this from the employer side, where Mm -hmm. I feel like, 
you know, there's often I've started to think about, I don't know if this is used in all organizations, but in my past life, there's the P2 grid. Like, how are you doing from a performance perspective? How are you doing from a potential perspective? And people get mapped or how are they performing? Do you see potential? And I almost think there needs to be a third vector, which is pace. And instead of having this kind of either up or out culture or the fact that like, if you're not on the fast track, you're not going to be somebody that stays within an organization. But again, to this point of, there is a reality of parenthood as a part of life and it's a life stage. And I think that's, I mean, everyone has to navigate that for themselves and figure out what makes sense for them. And so it's not for me to say, you know, should people be pacing or not? But I think there's also some re realities to that. So I'm wondering if that comes up at all in any, with any of the employers you've taught and in, in companies you work with or who, who use your program. Yeah. Well, first I want to bring it back to the new parent perspective, which is that they're often new parents are often beating themselves up for not being what they believe is 100 percent, uh, you know, full blazing ahead at work and 100 percent available at, with their family. And, you know, as a friend and colleague of mine noted, if you did that, you would be working 200 percent of the time, which is humanly impossible. Um, and so what I try to bring everybody back to from the parent perspective is that wonderful Teddy Roosevelt quote, comparison is the thief of joy. And really reminding them that in life, opportunities are abundant and you need to stop comparing yourself to the single white male gunner next to you who might be able to and wants to work 24 seven and is not prioritizing other things in, in your life. Um, just to stereotype. Um, white male gunners and law firms, um, <laughs> unapologetically. Um, but from the perspective of the employer, I think we're back to retention because if you want to retain amazing, committed, talented individuals, then show them support through this period when they might have to quote unquote, slow down from a career perspective, um, because parents are known to be intensely loyal if you show them that um, modicum of concern and empathy during this particular time. Um, I also think that there are just, there are competing viewpoints about this philosophical issue out there. There is a partner at the law firm who, where I used to work who said and truly believes that quantity of build hours is a proxy for quality of lawyer. And you cannot possibly be a good lawyer if you are not billing all of that time. And my challenge to that is you can be a great lawyer and bill all of that time over a longer period and still be a fantastic lawyer. Um, why does it all have to be in the year that the person is you know, making partner? Um, P.S. law firms in particular, and many other male-dominated industries were designed not with with no no sense of a woman's fertility timeline in mind. And often women are trying to rise to the ranks of levels like partnership right at that time when they are also most likely from a biological perspective to be having children. And so anyway, I've gone off on many tangents here, but um, <laughs> I think both employers and uh new parents have reconciling to do and new narratives to be creating around this, this topic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and sadly it's still, um, 
we're still not, from my perspective, not making enough progress quickly enough. I, I often mention the movie Nine to Five. You know, I think that came out in 1980 or something like that. I mean, it was an 80s movie. And how many years later? And we, you know, some of the things that they've brought up in that movie are still not norms within the workplace. So, and some of those things came and then they went, you know, so even 15 years ago in my career, I worked at a company that had more job sharing and it, you know, that doesn't, really get mentioned as much anymore. So it's really fascinating. And I think hopefully the pandemic is it's accelerated many things and hopefully it's accelerated some additional things around starting to reshape narratives, reshape how work gets um, shaped within organizations. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. we can only keep pushing and your work is a key part of that. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on before we wrap up here is also just I'm curious what has worked for you, like so around like structures or habits or things that you've put in place to kind of make things more sustainable for yourself as a working parent. Are there some tips or things? I mean, everyone's a little bit different, but still, are there some tips that you ha have worked for you or structures that have worked for you that um, you'd like to share? Sure. Yeah. So my program is called Mindful Return because I do really believe in the effectiveness of mindfulness practices. And for me, that is a big component of what keeps me sane on a daily basis. Um, I have a practice that I call is or ISS that I use in the shower that I invented when I couldn't remember to do the thing in the shower. So I gave it an acronym and it stands for the I is set an intention. So I set an intention for my day while I'm in multitasking my shower. Um, the first S stands for stretch. So some stretches in the shower. And then the third, the second S third letter stands for savor and really like taking that moment in the shower to have a gratitude practice and say, Okay, I have warm water. There's a roof over my head. The Cheerios are on the floor, but they're also on the table. We have food. We're not chasing toilet paper anymore. You know, all that good stuff. Um, I have a daily morning yoga practice for 15 minutes. I'm a huge believer in um, micro self-care opportunities. I preach um, practices like pausing between home and work and work and home where, you know, you ride the Metro downtown and you get off at a park bench or a hotel lobby and sit there with a meditation app for five minutes before you enter your office. These are things that have kept me going. Um, I get seven hours of sleep a night. I'm regimented about that. Um, I, I think those self-care practices really enable me to be the most effective mom and CEO that I can be. Mm, I love all of those. Thank you <laughs> Thank for sharing you. those. One of the other things I wanted to touch on, because you mentioned this and we were preparing, which is this idea of taking breaks. And I think they're mm. so important. And yet, um, you know, it's interesting because when I, in my corporate life, I used to be one of those people that unfortunately like, oh, I should be responsible. Let me check email. Let me try to do this or try to multitask a little bit, multitask on vacation. Um, and often I found like, oh, I read one email and it ruined, you know, my mindset for the yes. rest of the vacation or for yes. a day. And I'm like, was that worth it? And now for the last couple of years, like when I go on vacation, I'm like, I can't even get myself to do work. It's really been interesting. <laughs> interesting and a healthy uh, thing to do. So yeah. what does it take to really allow ourselves to take these breaks properly and actually have a real vacation from your perspective? Yeah. Um, great question. And for me, a lot of it comes down to having an accountability partner. And I, I guess I'll rewind and say one of the other structures in my week is that my husband and I together do 
a Saturday evening weekly planning session where we map out the week and um, we have a whole agenda of the stuff that we go through, including like who's on point for childcare each day, if something were to blow up, et cetera. And, you know, we also do two annual planning meetings, one in December and one in the summer. And for us, those planning meetings are really intentional ways of carving out time and putting that time on a calendar and then planning it in advance. For me, the success of the vacation is really all about the intentional advanced planning, the putting it on the calendar at a time pre going. Also, I say that anyone who's taken a parental leave has experience in planning to be out <laughs> and has some skills that they can draw on in that regard. Um, and as you said, it's a mindset thing. I think we almost have to learn the hard way once, right? That, that we can have a time period ruined. Um, I used to look at my emails in the hours between 5 and 8 p.m. every day when I was with my kids. And even if I, I wasn't going to respond and everyone knew I wasn't going to respond, that one bad email could mess up my brain and cause me to not be present with my kids for the rest of the evening, right? And so I think becoming diligent about that time away and like setting the expectation for everyone that you'll be gone and you will be back um, really helps to manage that. Yeah, really great. Yeah. I wanted to, as I wrap up here, I wanted to just see like wrap it up as kind of like, what is your current ambition, Lori? And what is your hope for working parents as you're doing this work? Yeah, um, I'll start with number two. My my hope for working parents is that they feel as though working parenthood is a normal way of functioning in the world one day and that employers respond the same way. That it's normal to have a human being brought into the world and we shall treat you just like we treat everyone else. Um, and to, to come back to your first question, um, sorry, which I've now lost. What's your current ambition? Current ambition. Yes. I have very specific ambitions and then broader ambitions for mindful return. We currently have 84 employers that are offering the program as a parental leave benefit. So I have an ambition of getting to hundred because hundred is a cool round number. Um, we've expanded into, um, we have a chapter in the UK, um, a chapter in India, and we're launching a Spanish language version of the program in January. And so my ambitions are to really you know, grow in ways that our clients and customers are asking for. These are all results of people who have said, we need X, will you create X for us? Um, in January, we're also launching a Mindful Return 201 program for any overwhelmed working parent, um, not just those who have transitioned back from parental leave. And so, um, you know, I really want to be able to support folks beyond that initial transition back. Um, holistically for myself, you know, I have ambitions around um, maintaining a sustainable lifestyle for myself now that I don't work in big law and really being selective about clients and supporting my children, particularly as one enters middle school next year and being able to be emotionally available for all of the ups and downs that that will take. Mm, wonderful. I mean, I'm so excited for you and for Mindful Return and for the work you're putting out in the world and that you have that ambition to broaden its reach um, mm. for working parents and getting out into corporate and around the world, which is mm. just beautiful. And I so appreciate it kind of takes us back to the start of our conversation where you talked about your ambitions holistically. So mm. I appreciate that mm. as well. Um, this has been so fabulous. Thank you so much for being on with me. My final question for you is just, is there a final final 
kind of takeaway that you'd want to leave our listeners with either around sustainable ambition or, or working parenthood? Yeah. Um, it's all going to be okay. Your kids are going to love you no matter what. <laughs> um, and opportunities, I think I said this before, but opportunities are abundant. I think when we have this closed mindset that, oh my gosh, I, if I take this time off either for vacation or to have a baby that I'm going to miss that one deal that's, you know, or this one project that's going to make or break my career. I just have to shake my head and say, what a limiting thought. And, you know, to the extent we can look out in the world and say, like, it's a huge world with many, many opportunities. Um, I think it can take the pressure off of us to to be there for that one exact moment because it's not going to make or break your whole life. So mm. to just calm down and relax about all of it is, is where I'm going with this. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I also love where you're going, which is just this idea of abundance and that opportunities mm -hmm. are bountiful. So it's a beautiful way to live, to, to leave the conversation rather. Mm. Um, Lori, where can people find you to keep in touch? And I'll of course capture this in the show notes. Sure. Um, our website is mindfulreturn.com and you can find all of our courses on there. Um, you can find my book back to work after baby on Amazon. Um, the podcast that I co-host parents at work is available on all the places that one normally finds podcasts and, um, trying to think where else to send you all the usual social media channels. We are at mindful return on Instagram and Facebook. You can feel free to mention that you listen to this podcast and link in with me personally on LinkedIn and um, we're at, at mindful return on Twitter as well. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, I will capture all of that. This has been Great. so wonderful, Lori. Thank you for coming on, for sharing all these wonderful tips. And I would argue that are relevant for parents and non-parents alike. Really, there's a lot of wisdom here, but thank you for sharing all of what you have to share and what you're doing out in the world. Super important and very helpful for the working parents out there. Thank you so much, Kathy. I've loved this conversation and thank you for the work that you're doing to help people have sustainable careers over their lifetimes. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.